Lord Jesus, we invite you to be Lord of this space afresh. Come be jealous for your bride. Take authority in this place. We invite you. We look, we long, we desire to seek you, our living God, and so find life in your name. In your name. I kind of think, what do you think? I kind of think that if the prophet Isaiah were on planet Earth right now, I think he would want to jump in his car and get on the windy roads of Kentucky and come to Wilmore. I think he would like coming to worship in Estes Chapel. Isaiah's been nicknamed the preacher, the prophet of holiness. Seems like I've heard a little bit about holiness here at Asbury. We have something we talk about spreading scriptural holiness across the land. That's part of our mission, our mandate. We talk about holiness. And, and I see in Isaiah that is embedded in his very call. Do you remember reading that in chapter 6? Isaiah gets his call. Come on now, help me. Isaiah gets his call and he gets this vision of the greatness, the grandeur, how great thou art in the temple. He says he sees the Lord high, seated on the throne, that the greatness of God is so present there that only the, the hem, the edge, fills the, fills, fills the temple. He hears the call of the angels. What do the angels say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Why, that just, that just bends him over, doesn't it? That just undoes Isaiah. And it's in those moments of getting a glimpse of the greatness of God that we, we see our smallness. And Isaiah repents. He's aware of his own sin. He's aware of the sin in the land he's dwelling. And he experiences this searing forgiveness. And it's in that time that he hears the call. It's in that time he hears the voice of the Lord and he raises his hand. Isaiah had a different, 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 difficult call. Don't you think? Have you ever heard anybody walk around Asbury, you know, sit at the cafeteria and say, you know, I'd like my call to look kind of like Isaiah's. You know, preach to people who don't want to listen. Isaiah had a difficult call. And so I marvel at how Isaiah here in Isaiah 5 is faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord to a people, to an audience that's pretty hard-hearted. And Isaiah sets the mood in this story. He, he's ingenious in that he tells a story. It's kind of a, a poetic love story. Like, like when you turn on your radio in the car and in, in four chords, 
You just hear that soothing love ballad notes, you know? Like if Isaiah the prophet was to stand up on, in Isaiah 5 as he starts his story, as he sets the mood, if he had a guitar, Jonathan, on his, on his person, the, the chords would be so beautiful and inviting and welcoming. As Isaiah starts his story, let me sing for my beloved a love song. This is going to be a good story. Let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. The first hearers, when Isaiah starts this, they're immediately drawn in. They relax. A love song, a vineyard, this is going to be good. And like a good storyteller, he picks an analogy. He picks a vineyard, which is something the people, the first listeners, were readily relating to because many of them had worked in a vineyard. Many of them had experiences within a vineyard. And so as he starts unpacking this story, they all get the analogy really well. And in the text, he builds through this story of what the, the farmer did. It says, my beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. Not just any old hill. Good soil. Ready soil. And, and the farmer cleared the land, right? If you're a good gardener, you know you don't just start planting. You have to clear it. You have to tend to the soil. You have to pull the weeds. You have to pick up the stones. And I imagine this farmer did like what we do here in Kentucky. When we clear the land, we take the stones and we put them on the side and we build a fence. And this farmer not only did that, he built a watchtower in the middle of the vineyard. What a sign, a symbol of protection. What a serious farmer to care for his vineyard. And the farmer picks out choice vines and has a huge time of investment, of nurture, of pruning the branches, of caring. A farmer expects a yield on their crop. I grew up on a farm. I know this. I didn't grow up in, around a vineyard, but I know that any reasonable farmer who invests and cares and nurtures a field looks for a crop. And for a vineyard, they don't grow grapes right away. When you plant a vine, there's a lot of perseverance. We're talking a two to three year process here between the time that, that the farmer got the land worked the land, planted the vines, and then nurtured, protected, cared. And then comes the harvest, right? They look for the grapes, right? Isaiah's up at his guitar, strumming along, telling the story, and all of a sudden, those warm chords go to kind of minor chords. Because the grapes... The grapes he was anticipating were not so. Instead, there were wild grapes. Wild grapes. What are wild grapes like? That's like bitter, sour, bad grapes. So not just any old fruit, not just, eh, there's a grape, but like the kind of grape you'd put in your mouth and go, Pah. like, have you ever done this like I've done this? Gone to the fridge, oh, come on, confessions. Gone to the fridge, grab the milk, it's late at night. 
take a drink. Forget to look at the expiration date only to find it's a week old and when you put it in your mouth you don't have to check the date because your mouth knows. Come on, what do you do? What did I do when I put the milk in my mouth? It's sour. I'm running to the sink. And you're going, ah! You expel that kind of milk. That's the kind of harvest this farmer yielded. Now the first listeners to this story, the first listeners are totally drawn in and they're thinking, nah, wild grapes. And it's at this point that Isaiah wisely draws them in and says, well, come on, help me judge between this vineyard and this farmer. What more could the farmer have done than he did? What more could he have done than he did? That he yielded wild grapes. Why, the people, if they were talking back to him, they probably would have whispered something like, well, nothing. Well, nothing. You did it right. Any reasonable farmer who wisely invests in a rich, fertile field and does it all right, any reasonable farmer expects a return. And they were totally starting to track with him about, man, this is wrong. And the minor keys keep coming on the guitar. And he says, let me tell you what that farmer's going to do to his vineyard. He's going to quit pruning. He's going to tear down the fence. He's going to see to its destruction. Because those wild grapes are against everything a good farmer stands for. It cannot be. And then all of a sudden, the chords turn to like a lament, like a dirge, like a funeral, like a dun-dun-dun-dun, because then there's the twist of the story. And by the way, the farmer is God. And you people, Israel, Judah, you're the vineyard that's produced wild grapes. This is how God sees you. God has nurtured and cared and protected for you and he's expecting justice. He's expecting the fruit of justice. And what does he get? He hears violence. He expects righteousness. And what does he hear? The cries of victims being oppressed. This cannot be. That's against everything God stands for. That's like running over to the sink. And in Isaiah 6, it goes on to kind of list out the slippery slope dissension that the people have fallen into. They turned hard-hearted. They neglected the relationship. They became arrogant. They became greedy. They began focusing on their other pleasures that drew them away into all kinds of perversions. They became corrupt and unjust and ready to oppress. What? That's a hard word, isn't it? I remember taking theology class here, and I remember Dr. Steve Seaman saying, God isn't a mush God. You can't follow him any old way. And you know that image of the vineyard, doesn't it make you think of another passage? 
Another passage we read today, John 15. Don't you just love John 15? I mean, can't you just swim in John 15? I love to just, like, focus on the good, the good bits, you know, the, oh, abide, Jesus, love. But, you know, lately I've been really struck. I've been really kind of convicted, uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus isn't a mush god either. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, the people gathered around him, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying to his disciples, tend to this relationship above all else, because if you don't abide, you will wither like a branch. And what do do you do with a dead branch? You throw it away in a fire. Jesus talks about pruning. Jesus talks about how he is the true vine and God the Father is the vine grower, the farmer. And Jesus unapologetically says, you have to abide in me. You're the branch. Remember the order here. You're the branch. I'm the vine. Abide in me. And I've just been struck by the the weight, the warning the solemnness of John 15. He's talking to his disciples, y'all. And so today, as clearly as I know how, I want to issue a couple calls. One's a call to not be like the people of Judah, descending down a slippery slope of sin and becoming hard-hearted to reap what they've sown to a tragic consequence. But to be like an abiding disciple who is open to a word of warning. Following Jesus, we don't get to be in charge. Following Jesus, we don't just follow him any old way. He's in charge. And so are you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, open to that pruning? Have you ever thought about that? Even the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a sign of God's love. And so when you feel convicted, when there's something that you're realizing, I think I, mm, I grieved God. Mm, I strayed. I come back in to pruning. And the other word I really want to hold up is in this John 5 passage, verse 1. Because this really just stuck out at me. Here's Isaiah with a difficult call. Here's Isaiah talking to a people who don't want to listen to him, trying to be faithful. And how does he start? Let me sing a love song of my beloved. And he's talking about his God. Let me sing a love song about my beloved in his vineyard. To me, that says that Isaiah, as part of the remnant, as part of the faithful, he had relationship with the living God. He had a kind of relational intimacy with God. You don't just call somebody beloved any old way. Let me sing a love song about my beloved and his vineyard. And to me, there's an element of the John 15 in there. 
Jesus says, abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. How has the Father loved the Son? When Jesus was coming up from baptism, what did God the Father want to say? This is my beloved Son. In him I'm well pleased. See that relational intimacy there? And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. How has Jesus loved the disciples? Like right there in the upper room when he says that to them? How has the Father loved us? Well, he's just washed our stinky, wild feet. And he's talking about laying down his life for his friends. Wow. That's some language of relationship. Abide in my love. Do you know today you're beloved by God? I think one of the ways you might want to measure your current abiding is to think about how affectionate you are to God. Do you ever find yourself waking up and just like just rumbling off your lips or in your heart, in your mind, God, I just love you. I'm so glad I get to know you and follow you today. Affection. Affection is like an outflow of somebody you just love. I'm a mother. It's a small example, but I think you might get it. I'm a mother. I have two kids. I never get tired of hearing them say to me, Mom, I love you. I never get tired of them fixing their gaze on my eyes with that look of, I'm with you. Why, that just moves me every time. It could happen all day, every day. It moves me. Do we ever think about that when we come into worship? Our holy God, who's generally, genuinely, and generously given us the Son, the Son who has poured out his love as the true vine, the Holy Spirit sent to teach us how to abide, to dwell with him, to be one with him. How does he feel when we turn around and we fix our gaze on Jesus? Come on. The author and perfecter of our faith and say, I love you. I think that moves him. I think that's when we stop going through the motions in worship and it becomes the real deal. So today as we prepare our hearts for the table, I want to invite you to consider your abiding and to fix your eyes on Jesus. My beloved. And we are so privileged now to be grafted in be in his vineyard.